you are listening. <laughs> oh, that's right. You are listening to A Scary State, and this week we're covering Texas. So, Lauren? Yes, Kenzie? Let's get scary. Hi. Hi. There's a really bad thunderstorm here today. Both Roy and I are panting. So if you hear pants in the background, <laughs> it's Roy. He does this really, really fun thing where he paces and pants and cries and sometimes pees when it thunders. And so we're having a really bad thunderstorm. And so I have him here, Mackenzie gasping every time we hear thunder. <laughs> I just startle easily and they're nerve wracking. They don't. I don't understand why people find enjoyment in them. Oh, I love them. In my mind, I'm like, there's rain coming down, which is dangerous, and you can't go outside because your hair gets wet, and so you're <laughs> stuck inside. And yes, then, only the hair getting wet is the issue with thunderstorms. I mean, yeah. Ooh, did you hear that one? Yes, I did. And then <laughs> you have that happening, and it's like when it's really loud, one, it scares you. Two, it sounds like it's going to kill you, like that one just did. Why? How is that enjoyable? Because it's like the nice low rumble of the thunder. That's not a – what if it's like a big <laughs> – See, those ones are scary. And, like, so we have this um, wine set thing that I made, like the wine holder. What is happening with the microphone? Okay. With the wine holder. And there will be sometimes when the thunder comes, like, right above the house. And if I can hear the glasses clink, that's when I know it's too close. But otherwise, I love them. They're so calming. And then it's, like, if you're all cozy and warm inside, mm, the best. Don't give me that look. I love them. Doesn't make any sense, but okay. Oh, and also PSA, um, TJ Maxx has already started selling Halloween things. Ooh. So as Mackenzie saw when she walked in, I bought Halloween things. I'm really trying to vamp up this space. And Joe, I texted him and I was like, hey, I um, maybe bought a couple Halloween things. And he's like, okay. (laughs) So I asked him to come down and help me bring the stuff in. He goes, you bought a couple Halloween things? (laughs) And I was like, oh my God, there was so much to choose from. Like... Oh, and it's only August. It's going to be really bad in September. That's okay. I just, I just love Halloween so I love much. Halloween. Oh, I love it so much. I, I like fall and I like Halloween. I really enjoy that time of year. It's just the scary movies. I just don't like being scared. Like that's <laughs> If we could just take that part out. Like I like the dressing up and the mysticalness yeah. of it and, you know, the cute, cute cute decorations okay i don't like any of like like the super creepy decorations yeah but i just there's also this part of it that i take out of my enjoyment and it's being scared i mean i i can understand that i'm just the type of person that to me (laughs) i understand not everyone feels this way but when i start to get scared it feels like i'm about to have a panic attack and that's not comfy for me. So <laughs> instead of going into those situations, you remove just, yourself from just said remove situations. them because I'm like, why would I go out of my way to be uncomfortable? That is true. Just my thing. And that skeleton candle smells so freaking good. It does. It smells delish. I'm a big fan. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll jump on into Texas. We can jump right on in. So again, these are just kind of notes. Of interesting things I found about Texas. Let's do it. So there are 21 counties in the U.S. in which more than a fifth of the residents are inmates. Ten of those counties are in Texas. Hmm. There is a place called Sri Swaminarayan Mandir, Stafford. Bless you. (laughs) (laughs) It is a city located in Houston. People who have visited said that the area was highly unusual and otherworldly, but said it was a very positive experience. 
Rodeos are an official state sport. The first rodeo ever was on July 4th, 1883 in Pecos? El Paso? No. P-E-C-O-S. Anytime you put a C and an S in the same word, I don't know what to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) Texas averages about 120 tornadoes a year. Oh! Mm -hmm. That's also, again, weather and I? No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. The deadliest natural disaster in the history of the U.S. occurred in Galveston in 1900, known as the Great Galveston Hurricane. It resulted in over 8,000 deaths. Oh, wow. The largest urban bat colony is located under the Congress Avenue Bridge in Austin with an estimated 1.5 million Mexican freefall bats. I know. (laughs) Oh, my God. Two presidents are from Texas, as well as Beyonce. Just two? Yeah. That's all I could find in that, in the little. They're uh, dad and son, too. Is it the Bushes? Yeah. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Simone Biles is also from Texas. Cool beans. They are ranked 44th in the nation for high school graduation. That's not surprising at all. That's not good at all either. No, it's not. And can you believe this? Texas has its own Pledge of Allegiance. That's awesome. Texas (laughs) still has not gotten over the fact that they weren't allowed to secede from the Union. Yeah. So it is said every morning, just like, you know, the normal Pledge of Allegiance, so they say both, it goes... Honor the Texas flag. I pledge allegiance to thee, Texas, one state under God, one and indivisible. I think we should just let them go. Like, if they really want to leave, <laughs> if they really just don't want to be a part of it, then just go. Fine. Yeah. Do your own thing. Whatever. But like, here's a cool thing, though. Austin is considered to be the live music capital of the world with over 250 live music venues. Austin is awesome. I've never been. It's great. When did you go? My aunt used to live there. Oh. <laughs> I have never been. <laughs> Allegedly, Texas invented the hamburger. Huh. We have Dallas to thank for the frozen margarita machine. Margarito? <laughs> for the frozen margarita machine. Hell yeah. It was invented in May 1971 by Mariano Martinez. Go, Mariano. The highest speed limit in the U.S. is also in Texas. Ooh, how fast. The Texas State Highway 130 has a speed limit of 85. Oh. So it doesn't sound incredible, but I guess if you think of other places... People go 85 anyway. I know, but this one, you're allowed to go 85. Because isn't it like anything over 80 is considered reckless, technically? In Virginia. Uh, I don't know. That's why it's in Texas, probably. I don't know about other places. I don't know. Because I know there's parts, I'm almost positive there's parts on 95 that are 80 miles an hour. Well, that would still be slower than 85. But yes, I do think you're right. Because I would always think about it like, oh my god, anything over 80 is reckless. And then it's like something, there's a rhyme. It's like nine, you're fine, 10, you're mine. Oh. So if it's like 10 and over, I think it's now reckless too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. if you Because I think it used to be 20? 15. 15. Mm-hmm. Wow. The catchphrase used by Bugs Bunny, what's up, Doc, originated in Austin. Huh. Nope. Tex Avery, Looney Tunes animator, didn't think much of the phrase as he said it as a common phrase from where he grew up. Oh, that's cool. And um, the Helium Centennial Time Columns Monument was built in 1968 in honor of the 100th anniversary of the discovery of helium. One of the time capsules sealed on the monument is set to open 1,000 years from that date and has a passbook to a bank account with a $10 bill. It is expected to be worth one quadrillion by the time it opens in 2968. That $10 bill? Mm Mm-hmm. Based on inflation. It should be one quadrillion. Honestly, if the human race can make it another thousand years, that alone I don't think we will. is like <laughs> really, really inspiring. We have to make it to 2968. Did you know that um, George Jetson was born in September of 2022? Yes. Isn't that wild? No, I think it was August because I think he already had his birthday. Well, 
this year yeah. he was born. Yeah. Which means, ideally, we're supposed to have flying cars in the next, like, 30 years. Okay. We have hoverboards. Here's my theory. <laughs> so, I saw this movie with, uh, what's his name? Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, this futuristic thing. He's a taxi driver. And they have these, like, flying cars. But instead of, like, the lower you win, the worse the area was. Oh. Because everything up top was taken care of. And, like, because nothing down on the ground was taken care of anymore. Mm-hmm. It's all gross and whatever. And that's what I think is going to happen. Or do you remember that episode from Love, Death, Robots? The one with all the apartments? With, yes. yes. And the, yes. you can't have children? Literally, right when you said that, that's what I thought of. Yes, that's mm-hmm. also something like that. Because if you notice, when he goes down into the house, there's mm-hmm. all the trees and it's like icky and whatever. Yeah. But up up top. Yeah. So what's going to happen is Earth is going to become really shitty down here. Mm-hmm. And then all the, all rich, the rich people, people. are going to pay to go keep going up higher and higher and higher. There was also so, that one movie no. <laughs> where all the rich people like took a spaceship and there was like a space, like a space thingy. What mm-hmm. are those things called? A space, space station. station. <laughs> yes. Um, and so all the rich people would be in the space station and all the poor people stayed on Earth. Well, Wally. Yeah. Now that one was nicer because everybody got to go. <laughs> but I didn't realize this until I watched Wally again when I was older for a game. <laughs> and they like I didn't realize that like hundreds of years have passed since they first left. Mm-hmm. I didn't make that connection. I guess that's good then. Like, it, like when they play the video of, like, oh, you can't go back to Earth because yeah. it's uninhabitable, it's, like, 500 years later. Oh, wow. When we see the storyline. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know, I guess I just didn't click for me yeah. how much later it was. So, I don't know. The more the time goes on, those dystopian movies that you're like, that could never happen. Right. It's a little bit more realistic. Like that book, um, Red Riding Hood, or the... Girl with the red hoodie. Oh yeah, the one that I gave one. You? Did she write that? She wrote that before the pandemic, right? It's the copyright is 2019. Yeah, so there's this book. It's by this author. What's her I name? I think it's Christina Henry. Yes, uh, it's right there. Christina Henry. Yeah. <laughs> um, she wrote this book and she does plays on fairy tales. Mm-hmm. So she'll do like but it's like dark and twisted. Yeah. So like Alice in Wonderland, Little Red Riding mm-hmm. Hood, Peter Pan. And so she wrote one about Little Red Riding Hood, and there's a pandemic that happens mm-hmm. in it, and it starts with a cough and people are wearing masks. Yeah. And it's just like it's I a was, little bit more severe. Yes, yes. But right. I was reading it when I went to the beach like a couple weeks ago and I got 50 pages in and I was like, I can't do this right now. Right? Like, <laughs> like I was it like, hit too close to home. Yes. Where I was like, I I can't. Like Reading they called it the be, cough and uh, stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. supposed to be an escape from reality. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is reality. I don't want to read this. <laughs> I know. I know. So I was like, I, I can't do And it's this. funny because like as I was reading, I was like, oh, just wait, girl. It gets worse. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I'm still on page 50 because I haven't read past that yet. Get past it. It's good. Okay. It gets I'll a little try. bit better. Like once you kind of get past like the initial information part, mm-hmm. it gets better. Well, hopefully. All right, Mackenzie. <laughs> <laughs> what are you telling us in Texas? So, um, this case is technically true crime, but it's not the kind of true crime you think okay. of. Because normally when you say true crime, you think of murder. <laughs> <laughs> but in this case, a crime was committed. Okay. But thankfully, nobody was murdered. <laughs> <laughs> murder. But dead bodies are involved. And many people were negatively affected by this crime. Okay, so, and it'll probably be creepy. 
It'll be gross. Okay. Yeah. So in a scary genre. Yeah. Okay. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> so I discovered this story when I was scrolling through Twitter, like anyone does, and I saw a post about shows that had been canceled before airing. The show was titled Good Grief and was going to follow the life of the owners of Johnson Family Mortuary, Dondre Johnson, his wife, Rachel Hardy Johnson, and his twin brother, Derek. Okay. So the twins had been well-known in the Fort Worth community, and they had coined themselves the Undertaker Twins. Oh, that's kind of clever. Mm-hmm. I like that. I thought so, too. That was until it was discovered that the family was not following proper procedure when it came to funeral services and dead bodies. The couple was also featured on an episode of For My Woman on one TV. Apparently, it's the show. They also have, like, For My Man. Okay. And it retells these stories of people that have done outrageous things for their significant other. Oh, that actually sounds like it would be really interesting. I tried, I spent, I think, at least an hour trying to find the episode. That would have been really good. I couldn't find it on YouTube, which I thought was shocking. Yeah. I found it on the one TV website, Mm -hmm. but it would not play. (laughs) So I gave up. Yeah. (laughs) So. You gave a valiant effort. I did. I really tried, but, you know. um, So there's not a lot of, like, family background that we normally give. Okay. But I did try to give a lot of background. I talk about, obviously, what they did. And I talk a lot about the families that, like, were affected by what they did as well. Mm -hmm. So Dondre and his brother Derek. I really hope I'm saying that right. uh, Dondre and Derek. Dondre and Derek uh, had been in the funeral business since age 11. They would wash limousines and helped out with funeral services. The twins also worked under a well-known and respected funeral director, Gregory Spencer. Spencer had been in the funeral business since the early 1990s. He was a prominent figure in the African-American community in Fort Worth, Texas. Spencer was sadly murdered in 2003 in a motel in Arlington, Texas. Oh, funny story about Arlington. When I was looking for apartments, I typed in, Arlington, enter. And it took me to Texas. Mm. And so it started showing me things from Arlington, Texas and Arlington, Virginia. So one day I found this one place and it was like super affordable, three bedroom, three bathroom. And I was like, (laughs) oh my God, this is incredible. So I click it, freaking Arlington, Texas. And I was like, you've got to be kidding. Sounds about right. Yep. So ding, ding, ding. That's what this other podcast I listen to does when there's like a little Easter egg. What podcast? Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard. Oh, yes. So good. We've talked about that. Definitely going to come back around and look up the Spencer stuff because it seemed very interesting. I almost went down a hole, but I didn't <laughs> stay focused. <laughs> but he seems like he has a very, like, interesting backstory, histories, and all that. And I really wanted to find out why he was murdered. And yeah, I couldn't. But, like, it wasn't even the first time he was attacked. It's crazy. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, so the Johnson brothers started their own mortuary business in 2011. Dondre's wife, Rachel, helped run the mortuary business along with having other businesses herself. She ran a tax business titled Mighty Dollar Tax Refund Service. So the Johnsons were being sketchy with their money long before their business went under. Convenient that she works at a tax place. Mm-hmm. Rachel's currently in jail for fraud. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) In 2011, Rachel received government benefits claiming she was unemployed and living at home with her children. 
Meanwhile, she purchased a 2006 Hummer for $26,000 and Mercedes-Benz for $41,700. And then the next year, she bought a Land Rover. Okay. Still claiming to be an unemployed single mother. Yeah, because it's so easy to afford all of that if you're unemployed. It's like people like this are the reason why people are like, we can't give handouts. I'm like, Uh you can. You just can't give it to them. Mm -hmm. There are people who actually need it. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) While this is all awful, this is not why I bring you this story. (laughs) So fast forward to 2014 when the Johnsons should have been providing crematory services, funeral services, among other things, to grieving families. So I'm just going to kind of go over um, some of the families, what they wanted, what they paid for, and then we'll go from there. Okay. So uh, Karen Pearl Jones died in March of 2014. Her daughter Michelle and sister Lana paid the mortuary $3,025 for embalming, wake, memorial service, and cremation of Miss Jones. Michelle was given her mother's ashes after the service and the wake. Mm-hmm. Helen Jones died in April of 2014. Not related. Her son Fred paid the mortuary $2,800 for a wake, memorial service, and cremation. The funeral home did, in fact, provide a wake and funeral service. Desiree Williams lost her infant son in May of 2014 due to a premature birth. The mortuary provided the family with a funeral service and a cremation for $300. After making many inquiries about the ashes, the Williams family finally received the ashes of their son, I think, like six months later. Mm. Mm -hmm. Already sounded sketchy. Mm -hmm. Margaret Francis lost her aunt, Patricia Baptist, in June of 2014. Miss Francis gave the mortuary $1,500 in the form of a cashier's check on July 6th for the cremation of her aunt. Mrs. Francis' brother was concerned that the body would not be properly cremated and wanted to be in attendance for the cremation. Mm-hmm. When Mrs. Francis shared this information with Johnson, he told her that there would be further charges. And because of this, Miss Francis decided against it and said that they would continue with the cremation without the witness being present. So it would be more money to have a witness there. Mm-hmm. That sounds stupid. Mm-hmm. You may be wondering what all these families have to do with our sketchy funeral home. Of course. And that brings us to the landlord of the building of the funeral home that they were renting from. Okay. So Jim Labens purchased the property in February of 2014. The rent for the funeral home was 3500 each month. The Johnsons paid 3000 of their March rent, but Labens had not received any other rent payment after that. In May of 2014, Laban served an eviction notice to the funeral home. Johnson went to Laban's and said he could get him the rent money. Laban's had changed four of the locks on the building, but Johnson was able to produce the rent for April. Laban's let the renters back into the building to resume business. No rent was paid for May or June. And then did they even pay the remainder of March? Nope. Oh, okay. By mid-July, no rent was paid and activity at the funeral home had stopped altogether. Fearing that the renters had just abandoned the business to avoid payment, Labans and his business partners went to check out the building. Upon their arrival, they met with a gruesome discovery. They could smell the foul stench of decomposing bodies. Uh-oh. They stepped away from the building and called the police. Mm-hmm. Once the police arrived, they discovered many bodies in various states of decomposition. Reports show that they found remains of two stillborn infants and five adults. Insects, maggots, and bodily fluids were covering the floor. Oh. Told you it was gross. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Jones and her family, who had assumed that they had received the ashes of oh, God, yeah. her mother, Karen, had in fact received the ashes of a woman who had died two years prior. Karen Jones was among the adult bodies found oh, my God. in July. Oh, it gets better. 
Desiree Williams had received what she assumed were the ashes of her son. She received the ashes of someone else's baby. Her baby was found in a plastic storage bin in the mortuary's garage. Oh, my God. That's awful. Yes. Fred Jones did not receive his mother's ashes either. His mother had never been cremated but was found, again, among the adult Mm -hmm. bodies left in the mortuary. Paperwork was attempted to start the process for Patricia, Mm -hmm. who was like the last, quote, unquote, customer. Um, But records show, however, the funeral home had no intention of cremating the body or performing any of their services. That's apparent now, yes. Mm -hmm. So this is part of a long list of issues the funeral home has had over the years. Here are some of the other things. So I found this great site that pretty much just laid out the charges and what happened and things like that. So I was like, this is great. So I'm going to use some of the wording that they um, had in terms of like Texas law and things like that. Things that we don't know. (laughs) Right, exactly. So the funeral home did not follow proper procedure, obviously. Uh, So here is an account of what Johnson's did to get around the law. So the law says that the Texas Occupation Code requires every funeral home to have a licensed funeral director in charge, which is an FDIC, okay, who is legally responsible for day-to-day operations of any funeral home and to file his or her name and license with the Texas Funeral Service Commission. So that's what the like site explained. Johnson, not a licensed FDIC, he performed all of the functions of one, and one of the requirements of the FDIC is as follows. Quote, the FDIC is required to obtain a death certificate no later than 10 days after the date of death. Further, the Texas Administration Code requires a funeral director to obtain an electronically filed report of death through a vital statistics unit system or complete a report of death before transporting the body. The report of death shall within 24 hours be mailed or otherwise transmitted to the local registrar of the district in which the death occurred or in which the body was found. Okay. I know. Lots of wording. Lots to unpack there. Yes. (laughs) Basically, the reason I included that was because if you – like the part where it says complete a report of death before transporting the body. Mm -hmm. If they're not completing the death certificate, that's part of the reason why all these bodies are piling up because they – I don't think they can even transport them until there's that official death certificate. Yeah. So, Johnson had hired an FDA. So then, wait. How did the bodies get there in the first place? So, they got there from, like, I, however families get Yeah, I, I don't know how there. families. I'm assuming it was, it must have been, if they were in a hospital, I'm assuming maybe transported from the oh, hospital. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's honestly yeah. something I've never thought of before. I'm, I think it's – I don't know. Now, I don't know if the funeral home goes and gets them or if the hospital takes them. Okay. I don't know all about all that, but I'm assuming yeah. it was some sort of transportation from the hospital. So Johnson had hired an FDIC and uh, proceeded to use his license and password for the proper paperwork that the funeral home needed. It was not uncommon for the funeral home to take weeks or months at a time to obtain necessary documents such as a death certificate. The cremation of an infant was delayed for more than a year and a half, and delays like these were not uncommon for the funeral home. The funeral home would often hold bodies for months at a time before cremating them. One of the crematoriums started charging cash after the funeral home stored an infant for five months before paying for it to be cremated. And I believe it was stored at the crematorium. Okay. 
During the trial, workers of the crematorium testified that cremations of adults normally cost around $200. Oh, wow. Families had testified that the Johnson mortuary had charged them upwards of $1,000 to $1,500 for cremation. Yeah. Cremating a child is usually between $65 to $85. Reminder, Desiree Williams paid $300 for her child. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, that's so fucked. She's already going through so much having lost a a child. I read somewhere, and I know this isn't true with everyone, but a lot of times, like, funeral houses and all of that stuff, like funeral homes, are able to charge more, and they do charge more, because they kind of exploit the fact that you're grieving. Yeah. And so you're like, you know, I want to do this right by whoever. And so they'll do, they'll charge families a lot more because they know that they're going to be paid. Oh, yeah. They're, they exploited all sorts of things. Yeah. (laughs) So Christopher Ramsey, who is employed by the Texas Mortician Service, which, side note, how does one get into this business without people being like, hmm, that's weird. Start off with the family. Yeah. I could see, like, you start off with your family, because, like, these brothers you said started when they were, like, 11. Yeah, like, it, it was seemed like a family so business. Yeah, so it's a thing where if you grow up in it and people are seeing you there all the time or whatever you're not gonna be questioned i just you know what like okay i can remember all the things that made me want to be a teacher (laughs) (laughs) what makes someone like not just like funeral service like that kind of thing i mean like a mortician embalming and cremation i am part of a facebook group where they talk about (laughs) of course (laughs) where they talk about things like this and one of the main hosts of a podcast i listen to actually is like does autopsies Mm -hmm. and so they say it's like a way some of them say it's a way for them to like not be as afraid of death and be able to handle it. Okay. Some say they, you know, maybe had a traumatic experience in their life where one of their family members wasn't taken care of, so they don't want that to happen to another family member. Okay, okay. Like, of someone else, so they do it because they know they're going to do the right thing. So, like, you know. That's fair. Things like that. That works. I can live with that. This one girl I actually went to school with, I can't remember what she was doing, but she recently just went back to school to be, like, to do autopsy stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Anyway, Chris testified that (laughs) they had received a body bag from the mortuary and they had found an infant's casket between the legs of this woman. The woman had been stored for eight months and the infant was badly decomposed, according to Ramsey. Yes. So Jim Fisher, which I think you've, I don't know if this is the same site that you used where he like listed a bunch of things. I don't know. A bunch found, of things. I found this really great site from Jim Fisher, and he did a really awesome job of making things in chronological order. Oh, yeah. No, the guy I had was Gavin Fish. So we have Fish. Okay. Yeah. Maybe they're related. Fish and Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. So anyway, he, he put together all the crimes that the Johnsons have been convicted on and their current sentencing. So I'm just going to go over kind of the final list going in chronological order. Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah. So, September of 2014, both Dondre and his wife Rachel were indicted on a grand jury by a grand jury on four counts of federal fraud charges. From 2010 to 2012, the Johnsons obtained food stamps, housing subsidies, education funding, and Medicare benefits without revealing their income or assets. Wow. And as you may recall earlier in the story, I told you about all the fancy cars that Rachel purchased. Mm-hmm. She purchased those cars while claiming those government benefits. Something to note, the difference between an indictment and a conviction. An indictment is a criminal charge against you that must be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And a conviction is when the defendant is found guilty of the crime they're being charged with. Okay. The Johnsons could face up to 20 years in jail for the federal fraud charges if they are convicted. Okay. 
In January of 2015, the Johnsons were indicted for stealing $20,000 from families for services that were never received. Mm -hmm. If convicted, they could face up to 20 years in jail and thousands of dollars in fines. Would that be 20 on top of the other, like, 20? Or would that be 20 concurrent where, like, you serve both of them at the same time? I don't know. I think they made a plea deal. Oh. Later in January 2015, Rachel Hardy Johnson pleaded guilty to food stamp benefit fraud and was sentenced to 18 months in prison and I think like a $6,000 fine or something like that. And then in September of 2015, Dondre Johnson was found guilty of theft by a jury on two counts of felony theft and was sentenced to two years in prison and a $20,000 fine. And then in September of 2018, he pled guilty to nine counts of abuse of a corpse and was sentenced to two years in prison. Wow. And I didn't think to do this, but I can look later. Um, I don't know. They would obviously be out by now. But when I was looking things up, I didn't see any, like, recent articles, posting or anything like that about them. So they didn't get the 20-year things? No. Not from what it what it said i think from given their sentencing i think because they made a plea deal i get plea deals but sometimes at the same time i'm like you don't deserve that right well you know for something like this well yes it was wrong and i definitely think there needs to be punishment for it i don't know about 20 years yeah i mean i don't know maybe that's just me i feel like there are some people who have committed way worse crimes yes absolutely you know, don't get nearly as much as they should. And so if we're talking about the overcrowding of our prison systems and along with the injustices. I talk about overcrowding. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Then I feel like while these people did an awful thing and there should definitely be consequences for it. It should maybe be more of a monetary thing. Right. You know, where they have like restitution that they have to Mm -hmm. pay back or something. Exactly. Well, and I also wonder, too, like, given the fact that this was also a black family, Mm. like, you know, I feel like there are white people who commit the same kind of crimes, Mm -hmm. and they would just be given a fine. Yeah. Like, I think, what was that kid's name that raped that girl? Brock Turner. That guy. Mm -hmm. What was it, three months? Because it would affect his future, Mackenzie. You have to think of his future. That's ridiculous. Uh, Like, granted... What these people did was wrong, and it absolutely. But it's like when you know that it's not uniform, uniform, like the same, right? Yes. And I'm just like, how can you say that it's justified? Yeah, or that justice was served when you know that if a certain situ, if the mm-hmm. situation was different, just by a couple of elements, mm-hmm. who knows? That's awful. So, like I said, I'm not sure how they're doing now because <laughs> I didn't. When I was researching things, I didn't see anything about them currently but i can go back and look and give like an update yeah find anything yeah we can add it to our little list of cases to update if anything (laughs) comes about from them um yeah and we can update that so that is the johnson family mortuary when you brought this up um like a week or so ago when you said what you were doing do you remember there was a news story like a year or two ago of that one funeral home Mm -hmm. where the guy had been found to be doing like experiments on the corpses that he got uh, maybe it was like they called it like a frankenstein something or other because he would it's it's awful he would take the body parts of like some people and try to attach them to the other bodies i'll look into it oh my god you can easily find it was like a big big story recently like a year or two ago i have the memory of a gnat so like <laughs> <laughs> but 
So when you brought this up at first, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's what she's talking about. When I first saw the tweet, it's like, I think the theme was something along the lines of like something with like bad luck or something, because I think the common theme, it was all Lifetime shows. Oh, okay. And so I thought it was going to be something a little bit more like sinister. Mm -hmm. Still an interesting story. Yeah, definitely. not as sinister as I had hoped. That's okay. It's still creepy. Well, yeah. And awful. And awful. And a crime. And gross. Yeah. So there you go. Okay, so what I am going to talk about today is this woman named Clara Crane. Hmm. So Clara Crane was born in the small town of Terrell, Texas in 1871. There are no pronunciations, so it could be Terrell, it could be Terrell. I tried to look up a YouTube video for, like, Texas town pronunciations to see if it would show it. It did not. But Texas is like Massachusetts, where you look at a word, you think you know how to pronounce it, and it's not like that at all. I think that moving forward, I think there's just a disclaimer that we really do try and we don't mean offense if we get anybody's name wrong, but I have dyslexia and can't read <laughs> and Lauren is paranoid. So and, and we do try, but sometimes there's just no, we there's do, nothing. We do try and even when we get the pronunciation, we still mess it up somehow. So we are not trying to be disrespectful or cringy or cringy. We truly apologize if we get something wrong. Yeah. But please don't come at us. (laughs) So we don't know much about Clara's younger life, but when she was older, she married an older man named Leonard Gilbert Crane. Though Leonard was older, he owned a farm and made a lot of money. How much older? Uh, Like 20-something years, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe 15. In that ballpark. My rule of thumb is if you could technically be my parent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So he was someone who would be a good husband in the sense that he had a reputable job, owned land, had money, all the desirable things at the time. And it was a means of security, and now Clara would have that security. Not too long after they met, the two quickly got married, and again, very soon after that, in 1888, the two had a daughter together who they named Marcella, Marcy for short. Uh, Before Marcella, Clara had been lonely. Her husband was much older than her and was always tending to the farm. She didn't have many friends in the area either, so when Marcella came along, Clara had a reason to live. She had a best friend. She was the main parent who took care of Marcy, so the two formed a very strong bond and were very connected to each other. They were each other's world, and Clara was very happy. But in 1893, tragedy struck. Leonard had been out working on the farm. While he had been distracted, his five-year-old daughter was killed in a farming accident. (gasps) Clara had told Leonard to keep an eye on Marcy while she ran out to do the errands that needed to be completed. But Leonard hadn't been keeping an eye on Marcy. Instead, he had been drinking. (gasps) Clara was distraught and blamed her husband for the death of their daughter. Yeah. Yeah. But when it did finally come out that he had been drinking when the accident occurred, Clara wasn't just mad. She was furious. Absolutely. This drove her into a devastated and pissed off state. She quickly became withdrawn and soon fell into a very deep depression. The true happiness in her life, her reason for living, was gone. Mm. I know. An investigation was launched into Marcy's death, but both Clara and Leonard were cleared of any charges. This pissed off Clara even further. Leonard's negligence was the exact cause of Marcy's death, and he wasn't being charged. This hatred, anger... (laughs) This hatred, anger, and frustration festered for two years, always gnawing at Clara. I also don't like the word I can't believe she stayed. It was 1800s. That's true. You don't leave. And she had, he had money, you know? Kill him. Two years later, still reeling from the death of her daughter and hatred of her husband, Clara was busy making candy. One of the candies she made that day were caramels. Do you say caramel or caramel? Caramel. Yeah. Were caramels. Leonard's favorite. Not long after enjoying a piece, her husband dropped dead from the poisoned candy Clara had made for him. Oh, darn. He was only 41. Word quickly got out about Leonard's passing, and attention immediately turned to Clara. Not in any suspicious way, though, but in a sympathetic, how much more can this poor woman take kind of way. Oh, good. Good, good, good. This woman had just lost her daughter and now her husband. 
The day after Leonard's death, a nice neighbor decided to stop by Clara's house to check in on her and see how she was doing with everything. When the neighbor walked over to Clara's house, she noticed that she was in a, quote, shaken and frenzied state, all while trying to build a large fire next to her house. The neighbor ended up calling the sheriff's department, and county sheriff Fred Springer was the one to respond to the call. The neighbor was worried about Clara and knew that building a fire that close to a house wasn't going to end well. When Sheriff Springer arrived, he started to question Clara about what she was doing, why she was building the fire right next to her house, just kind of trying to figure out what was going on. Due to this frenzied state she was in, Clara lunged at the officer and started attacking him. What? She was immediately taken into custody. Uh-oh. While in custody, she was being questioned, and somehow it was revealed that she had murdered her husband. No! And that it hadn't just been a tragic accident. Damn it! Clara was then charged with first-degree murder. Ugh. Her argument was an insanity plea, with Clara stating that she hadn't been in her right mind and was suffering from, quote, mania. This plea was honored, and Clara was actually granted leniency. This leniency meant, instead of facing life in prison, she would instead be housed in an asylum instead. She was tried and convicted of murder and was sent to the North Texas Lunatic Asylum. Obviously, that's not a good name for a place. <laughs> so it was thankfully changed to its current name of the Terrell State Hospital. Lunatic is a funny word. It's such a bad word, it too, is. though. I mean, it's something terrible to call a place like that. Yeah. Because that's not what it is, but... Yeah, I know. It's just a funny word. It's like flabbergasted or lackadaisical. <laughs> I love lackadaisical. I've used that so many times in the past couple of days. There's a street in Louisiana that I love. Chapatulis. 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 Oh, yeah. Didn't you say that in one of your stories and you were I really proud remember. of yourself? No, that's like Pontchartrain. Oh, yeah. I couldn't remember the street name and then I was talking to my dad and he was like, Chapatulis. And I was like, Chapatulis. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> So obviously the story about a woman killing her husband made the news, and the news article about her case was titled, Wife Poisons Husband with Candy. While at the hospital, Clara was a model patient, pretty much as perfect of a patient as one could be. But a year into her sentence, in 1896, while searching her room, one of the staff members told her doctor about a doll they had found in her room. It had been made using old bed sheets. Other inmates claimed that Clara would often sing and talk to the doll. Oh, she no. called the doll Marcy and would have Aww. full conversations with it. The doll would often ask when they could go home, and Clara would always answer. Aww. Clara was a patient at the hospital for four years before she was released in 1899 due to overcrowding. Hmm. Though she was there for murder, Clara was an ideal patient. She was charming and soft-spoken, so when people needed to be released to make room for new patients, she was on that list. They believed that she was sweet and harmless. Her crime had been a crime of passion, so it was believed she would be fine and would be less likely to reoffend on the outside. Uh-oh. Before she was released, though, she had written a letter to her sister, informing her sister that she and Marcy were fine and that they were excited to go back home soon. Oh, no. Here's a little snippet of this letter. Dear Aggie, I am elated. I have been informed by Dr. Matthews that Marcy and I will be returning home in less than three weeks. As you can imagine, Marcy can barely contain her excitement. Every night she asks, is tomorrow the day when we go home, mother? Very soon I will be able to tell her yes. Our stay here has been somewhat of a trial, though I have been grateful to the good doctor and his staff and their dedication to our treatment and recovery. Leonard's death has put us in such a severe state of melancholy, which is also a word I like, <laughs> that I feared we would never escape it. These past few years have been more difficult than any in my life, and my dear Marcella, after all she has had to endure, has become my strength, my flame of hope. Which is very sad, because, you know. This is all. I know. So the jail and after-jail systems were different back then, so after she was released for those first few months, Claire was frequently checked on, just to make sure that she wasn't doing anything wrong or suspicious and just overall being a good free citizen. Mm -hmm. But after a couple months, those checks became less and less frequent, and eventually she just fell off the radar. No mm -hmm. more checks, no more hearing from her, just fell off the radar completely. Not much is known about where Clara went, but many suspect that she returned to her hometown. But right around the time she returned, children started to go missing. <gasps> In 1904, children in the town began going missing night after night. 
Some of the missing children had been last seen near the old Crane property, others were taken from their very own beds. Soon enough, after too many children had gone missing, other kids started to come forward. They began explaining how, for many nights, they would find candy on their windowsill. <gasps> the candy was always signed, the candy lady. Ah! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the kids had said they didn't want to tell anyone because they didn't want their parents to find out and end this supply of candy they would get on their windowsill. This terrified the adults and parents of this small town. They started thinking that maybe the candy was poisoned and someone was trying to poison their children. Obviously, this was a big deal, and law enforcement got involved and an investigation was launched immediately. The deputy assigned to the case thought there was a link between the candy being found and the disappearances. The deputy thought that a child would receive the candy on their windowsill. Inside the candy on the wrapper would be a note telling the child to come and play. <gasps> the children would listen to the note, walk out of the house, and never be seen again. Oh my god! This was the ongoing theory until a farmer was working on his field. He found something in his field and went to investigate. All over, he found candy wrappers. Inside of those candy wrappers were small, rotten children's teeth. <laughs> this was another clue for the deputy, and it was believed that he was getting close to the truth. That was until the deputy went missing. <gasps> only to be found later dead in a ditch. His eyes had been stabbed. Oh my god! Been stabbed with a fork, and his pockets had been stuffed with candy. Other sources say it was a young boy found in this condition, but I'm going to go with the deputy. Locals started to search for the children who had gone missing, but they were never found. This is when talk started to circle about Clara. Where was she? She had been released, but no one knew where she was. And kids were always being reported as having last been seen near her farm. Quickly, a decision was made that Clara was obviously responsible for the disappearances. They believed that she would take the kids one by one. She would then pluck their teeth out and oh leave those to be found, but the child would never be seen again. It was speculated that she had gone mad after losing her daughter and would do anything to have a child again, even if that involved kidnapping. But why'd she yank out their teeth? I don't know. Though they searched, Clara and the missing children were never found. Oh my god. Obviously, this spawned the urban legend of the candy lady. <gasps> and going with the more urban legend side of this, it was also said that she will leave candy on the children's windowsill, knowing the children would wait until their parents had fallen asleep. Once they reach for the candy, she grabs them and then drinks their sugar-laden blood until there isn't any left. That part makes it sound more urban legendy. So, a popular story about the candy lady goes... Did you hear? Jacob has gone missing, just up and vanished. That's not true, Emily and the other kids kept shouting, all five of them trying to ignore Daniel, although deep down they could all feel it in their gut the rumors must be true. Parents lie all the time, Daniel said. They say he moved because they didn't want to scare us, but I'm telling you right now, the candy lady got him. My brother and his friends told me all about her and how she lures kids with candy. I bet Jacob couldn't pass up free candy. All six kids sat in silence, wondering who was next, wondering whether the next piece of candy would be enough to entice them to follow the candy lady back home. Clara Crane may have died over 100 years ago. That doesn't mean her ghost still won't leave a piece of candy for you to find. All it takes is one bite, and you won't be able to resist following the trail of candy leading back to her house. That's how it happens. One appears, then another, then another. You lose all control, and the only thing that matters is the next piece. Where you end up is a mystery. Where exactly does a ghost live? No one knows where the candy lady's home is because they never come back from it to give directions. Think twice the next time you find a piece of candy. It may be the first that leads to your last. So is this all just a cautionary tale that was used as a way to teach children to not take candy from strangers? Or was the candy lady, Clara Crane, real? I am officially freaked out. <laughs> I found this story and I was like, this is fun. Amazing story. Really good. I, <laughs> but I'm like, it's like a scary story that you like tell at uh, right. a campfire. <laughs> Thank you. I apologize for screaming and no, that was awesome. Blowing people's <laughs> eardrums out if they're listening with headphones. <laughs> yeah, we apologize that one, but yeah, no, that was awesome. 
So yeah, that's Texas. This is why I don't watch scary movies. Do you see what I'm doing right now? <laughs> Mackenzie is literally bundled up into a little ball. If you heard like some rustling at some point, that was her curling her body up to sit on our teeny little chairs that we were on. I didn't on. feel safe keeping my feet on the floor. <laughs> when you can't see under the table. Right. Did I tell you about why I never put my feet down at the movie theater? No. So this is why. As you put your foot down. No, I'm putting it to the side. Oh. <laughs> um, this is why I also don't do scary things because as a child, anything that, anytime that something happened to me that was like, quote unquote, traumatizing, like <laughs> it, even into adulthood. Mm-hmm. So I think we were in Disney. I think we were at Disney. And we went to go see Honey, I Shrunk the Kids mm-hmm. at a theater. And it's like, you know, interactive, I guess. Oh. Didn't know. Like one of those 40 kind of things. Huh? Like 40. It's when they like add like the interactive Oh, 4D. Oh, do you think I said like 40, like 4-0? Yeah. Oh, no, like 4-D. Yeah. I don't know. I was like five, maybe. Oh. Wow, such an early memory. I mean, it's traumatizing. <laughs> and so my feet were firmly planted on the ground like any other normal person mm-hmm. sitting in a theater. And then there was a part with rats and you could feel their tails oh. on your feet. Yeah. Not oh. No. Ah. I mean, it's kind of fun if you know you're there for that. I had no idea. Okay, that would be scary. And I freaked out. And then for decades. <laughs> If I can't, like, even when I'm standing on the side of my bed, like, folding laundry. Oh, I don't, I don't like that either. I can't. I feel like something's going to come out and grab me. Uh-huh. I still run really fast up the stairs. Yep. Mm-hmm. So. There was this video I saw on Facebook, and a guy was, like, pranking his wife, and he hid under the bed and, like, grabbed her feet. And I was like, <gasps> never. But, I like, would divorce Thankfully, them. our bed upstairs, you can't fit under, so no one can hide under it. Yet, do I always check it? Yes. See, that's what always baffled me is the fact that you would have to come down the stairs, the windy stairs, <laughs> to go to the bathroom. Yeah. It was not ideal. No. Yeah. For We've been sleeping in the guest room for a little bit because that bed's better until we can find so how to move it upstairs. Reasons. You could fall. I did fall when we first moved in. <laughs> in the first week, I was walking down this spiral staircase. It's carpeted. And my foot just slipped and one leg went through one of the bars. Wow. Oh, I had the biggest bruise oh my god i had like three bruises like on my thigh my shin my butt it was not fun yeah not a good time and it's one of those things where you sit there afterwards you're like what just happened (laughs) before we go yeah we wanted to give a special shout out to a few people a huge 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 thank you so to miranda and casey and chris and jesse and max um, they have donated, you know, just small amounts to our GoFundMe, but any amount is a huge help. Oh, it's such a big help. So we just wanted to give you a special shout out on the air. Thank you so much. It we, really means so much to us. We really want to produce more in terms of like content mm-hmm. and merchandise. merchandise, but that also costs money up front. Yes. So... <laughs> You know, and also word of mouth really helps. Tell everybody you know to listen mm-hmm. so that we can get more listeners, more attention, and then yeah. maybe someone will sponsor us. Or or if you have a business or know someone who does and they want to sponsor a podcast, let us know. Yeah. We'll promote as long as they're good people. <laughs> but yeah. And we also want to say thank you to those of you who sent in listener stories to us. Um, they're really, really good. They're really fun to read. 
if we just get a couple more, we'll be able to do an episode, which will be really exciting. So send in your stories. If you need a sign to send it, this is your sign. Send it. Send it. Here's your sign. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's about all. Social yeah. medias? Yeah, we can go over that real quick. This is a shorter episode. <laughs> Twitter, at a scary state pod. Instagram and Facebook, a scary state podcast. Our website is www.ascarystatepodcast.squarespace.com. And that, the website is just a little different than social media because it kind of gives you a little bit of background on me and Lauren Mm -hmm. and the previous co-host, Nora. And we also have uh, ways to support not only the podcast, but episodes that we've done where you might be able to donate to a family's GoFundMe page if they're trying to get justice for a family member, sign any sort of petition. The one we did from New Hampshire, there's a scholarship in in her name, so you can make a donation to that if you'd like to. Mm -hmm. So it's not just supporting us, but also supporting the stories that we cover. Yeah. So check it out. Yeah, please do. So stay scary. Stay safe.